0: That event you used to do in person, maybe you've just stopped doing it, or perhaps you brought it online but found that it just didn't work as well. If that's happened to you or your organization, this episode will help you take some new steps to leading online events. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 514. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stehoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. One of the discoveries that so many of us have made over the recent years is how to be more effective in working online, and particularly since the pandemic started. Of course, so many of us have begun to use tools like Zoom uh, more than we ever imagined we would, and that has opened up new challenges, of course, but it has also opened up opportunities. And Today, we're going to dive in on how we can do a better job of hosting an event online so that we can really connect and engage well with the people we're serving. I am so glad today to welcome back to the show Tim Stringer. Tim is a coach, consultant, and trainer. And he's also the founder of Technically Simple. He provides productivity, technology, and workflow coaching, consulting, and training to all kinds of folks and organizations, large and small, all over the world. His clients include business owners, consultants, executives, managers, doctors, lawyers, teachers, artists, and professionals of all kinds. His technology specializations include Asana, Daylight, OmniFocus, and Trello. He's also an Evernote certified consultant. Tim supports many people in productivity through his website, LearnOmniFocus.com, and also through the holistic productivity approach that he developed after coming face-to-face with cancer back in 2008, uh, both of which we've talked about before on the show. He is also an expert at Zoom and consults to leaders and organizations on how to use Zoom effectively to lead engaging events. And perhaps even more than all of that, he is a dear friend. Tim, I'm so glad to welcome you back to the show. Oh, thanks very much, Dave. It's wonderful to be back on Coaching for Leaders. The pleasure is mine, as always. I don't know if we've mentioned this on the show before, but when I started the Academy back six years ago now, you were instrumental for me in helping figure out some of the technology. And at the time, I was doing some thinking about what was the right platform to use in order to do video conferencing. And You at the time recommended a product I had never heard of, and most people hadn't called Zoom. (laughs) And at the time, it was this tiny little company, and you had done a ton of research and decided that Zoom really provided the best video quality and the best experience for uh, folks to engage with. And uh, boy, here you know, six years later, you were right. (laughs) It's really amazing what's happened (laughs) in the world, hasn't it? Yeah,
1: it's incredible. Zoom was really uh, an unknown name when I first started using it, and. Back in those days, I was even having like hour-long conversations with their senior executives and giving all kinds of feedback on features. And in my own small way, I like to think that I helped the the platform grow and helped to inspire some changes. And it's just been amazing to witness the transformation Zoom has had in my own business. It's really literally opened up the world and uh, given me the opportunity to meet so many incredible people and you yourself included dave and certainly continues to serve me well to this day and uh, opens up all kinds of doors and i'm very happy to be able to to share some of what i've learned over the years and to continue to hone my own
0: virtual online skills as i mentioned in the introduction you have many talents with a lot of different kinds of technology and of course in the last year you have really been a go-to leader in the zoom world of people and organizations reaching out for your support. And we have talked on the show before about how to run an online meeting. But today, I think we can really take the part two on that of how to actually run uh, what you and I've kind of called an event, which is a little bit more than just hopping on a Zoom meeting with maybe two or three people or four people that you work with every day. and it might be a little bit more informal. And of course, there's wonderful meeting practices for that that we've talked about in the past. But today I think we're going to look at it a little more through the lens of if we're really trying to host an event, maybe for a larger number of people and or perhaps an event that has a bit more visibility for our organization and maybe even engaging folks outside the organization, customers, stakeholders, and there are definitely some best practices that you found that have helped organizations do this well and I'm, I'm excited to dive in on that a bit. Let's start first with framing this a bit as far as planning and design. And when we're thinking about planning and design, Tim, what's one thing that maybe is different in that approach that you wouldn't necessarily do in more of a traditional in-person event?
1: I think designing for engagement is probably the most important thing. The thing with an in-person event is you have that kind of serendipitous element where you show up at the event and you know you're maybe talking to the person standing in line to pick up your name tag or something like that or having coffee with someone before it begins or talking to the person sitting beside you so that, that's one of the reasons I certainly go to things like conferences is because I meet such interesting people and there's always that kind of excitement about you know who's gonna who's gonna come into my life uh, now maybe it's somebody I'm gonna do some work with or partner with or something like that so I think it's really important to make sure that there's those elements that are part of the design of a virtual event i think part and parcel with that too is recognizing that people are participating in a virtual event when they're not in a very focused environment very often they might have kids running around and dogs barking and even if they're in a quiet space, they might be distracted by their devices. They're seeing messages come in and emails and so forth. So I think in general, it's more difficult to engage people online than it is in person. You've got a lot more kind of competition. And that's where the, the design is so important to say, how are we going to engage people from the get-go and keep people engaged throughout the event?
0: You really help people to figure out some of the tools of engagement. And I think maybe hitting on a few of these would be helpful for those who haven't thought about this before. And one of the suggestions you have is opening a meeting early. Tell me about that.
1: Yeah. So just like a meeting room, if you imagine going to a conference, I'll use that as an example, then chances are you can go and take your seat. Maybe it's 10, 15 minutes before the, the conference actually begins, before that, let's say the keynote address begins, just to kind of settle in, and maybe have a little chat with the person beside you, and whatever that happens to be. So I find, first of all, those people who are involved in running the, the event, they definitely need to be there earlier. Some, In some cases, it makes sense they'd be there 30 minutes before if there's speakers involved and they wanna just make sure all the audio and video is working really well. Even if they only need five minutes to go through that check, it's still much more relaxing to say, okay, everything's good to go 25 minutes before than scrambling at the last minute. And so those would be typically the first people to arrive. Everybody else would be waiting behind the the waiting room door, so to speak. And then uh, once everything is good, then inviting people to, to join the event that decided to come a little earlier and maybe have some nice music playing or you know some quotes going by on the screen or something like that or maybe it's just a good opportunity to engage people find out where they're from and 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 invite them to have their their camera on and share a little bit before the kind of official event begins
0: you have also a guideline you suggest for hosts called the 5 minute rule which i think really is so critical to what you just said of kind of getting people engaged early uh, what is the 5 minute rule and how does it play out? Yeah, sure. Uh, I don't know if you remember,
1: Dave, but the five minute rule is actually uh, one that you shared with me. Uh, I think it was quite a while ago, while ago now.
0: Oh. And
1: that essentially means engaging people within the first five minutes of the meeting or of
0: the event. Sounds like something I might have pulled from Carnegie at some point.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, okay. <laughs> well, I'll credit you as the uh, the source that that uh, brought that suggestion to me, and that's one that I I've really taken to heart. But the idea is to engage people within the first five minutes of the event. So they're reminded that they're actually there. That might seem like a bit of an obvious statement. But I think when people are seeing something on their screen, that might put them into the mode of watching a YouTube video or something like that. But if they actually hear their name uh, read out or they're engaging with some other participants in a breakout room or they're invited to fill out a poll or to even click on the reactions button in zoom can be a great tool to you do give it a thumbs up or laugh or whatever whatever sort of emotion is present i think that even those little little sort of threads of engagement are what would really, really set the, the stage for the event, have it be really engaging. And conversely, in the absence of any sort of engagement, I find it can be really hard to reel people back in. Uh, if, you, if you haven't kind of grabbed them at the beginning, then it's kind of an uphill battle at that point to, to to re-engage them.
0: Breakout rooms is something that I know some people have experienced with tools like Zoom, but not everyone has. And uh, it's interesting, just in the last few months, I've folks in part of events that had never used breakout rooms before. For those who are not familiar with that, could you explain what that is and, and why it's helpful?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So a breakout room is basically a way of taking a large meeting and temporarily creating a bunch of small meetings. So let's say you had an event with 100 people there, you could have maybe partners or groups of three people sharing in their own rooms for five minutes. Maybe you give them a little bit of a an icebreaker sort of question to ask. I see it as equivalent of talking to the person sitting to the left and right of you if you're in an in-person event. And it's amazing how engaged people get, even if they're just chatting for three minutes, because suddenly they realize that there's other people there that that uh, have similar interests to themselves. Maybe they even exchange contact information and, and want to keep the conversation going. There's just so much value that comes from being in these small groups. And I'll add as well, too, that... They can be a great way to really involve everybody, even if it's a large meeting. If you have, let's say, an event of 25 people there and you're inviting people to share, it's probably gonna be like maybe three or four that kind of do the majority of the sharing. Others might not feel comfortable sharing in that large group. They, they might not feel like they have anything to contribute if those few people who are sharing are kind of experts in that field, whereas a breakout room is an opportunity for everybody to to contribute.
0: Yeah, indeed. And it, it opens up an opportunity to be a little more inclusive, not only of different personality types, um, but also just to involve people who might not otherwise be able to be involved because of uh, mobility issues or geography, even prior to the pandemic, I found in some cases, it's actually better to do virtual events because you are able to engage people and you're not interrupting their weeks with travel and hotels and dining and all of those things. And and by the way, there's, there's a time and a place for that. But I think what we've all discovered in this last year or so, especially those who have done some of this, like you've been helping people do, Tim, is that there's, there's some things that are actually better in doing the virtual events.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And one thing I've noticed in working with clients in the design of their events and even redesigning my own events is something that's by necessity, like something like a conference that took place over three days, really had to occupy people's time for those three days because maybe they're flying from the other side of the world or something like that and it's not practical for them to come back, you know, once a month or something like that. But what some organizations are starting to do is saying instead of, you know, having this big conference where people need to take a lot of time off work, which might be disruptive in terms of the travel and the time away from their their obligations and so forth, to say, well maybe we could just do a monthly, you know, half-day event and people don't have to make as much of a time commitment in any, any given time. And then they can they can kind of spread the learning out over time. They can practice what they're learning. They can uh, maybe even get to know if the same people are coming to the events over and over again, they can start to develop a relationship with them over time. So that's I think the invitation is to not necessarily do things the way that they've been done in the past, just to say, if we wipe the slate clean, you know, do we even want to have this conference every year? Do we need to schedule this length of event? Could we do a series
0: of smaller events instead? Perfect. Well, one of the reasons I was so excited to talk to you and have this conversation is because you have spent over the last year a lot of time helping organizations to do this better and host great online events. And you've, uh, you've shared with me a number of case studies of things that have worked well for different organizations. And I thought maybe we could hit on a few of these and perhaps steal some ideas from you on what you've seen work well. And, uh, and let me start by asking you about what you were just talking about, of the, the traditional, a lot of times thinking about like a multi-day conference and There have been organizations and events that have moved online and even over multiple days have found a way to do this well. And one of the things that you have worked with organizations to do is to think about using a virtual lounge. And I'm wondering if you could share a bit about what that looks like and what's worked for people.
1: Yeah, sure. And this is an idea that came up uh, when I was working on a conference last year and we were talking, as was talking with the event organizer about how can we bring in some elements, as I was mentioning earlier, those kind of serendipitous moments that I think attracts people to, to go to a conference in the first place. And one idea we had was to have a virtual lounge. So in this particular conference, they basically had a, a keynote, which was one run as a webinar, and that was more informational. There was a Q and A box. There wasn't a lot of interaction, but then they had some highly interactive workshops. And sometimes there would be maybe four or five of those going on simultaneously. They'd they'd hone in on very specific subjects, but something they had open throughout the day was this virtual lounge. So, if you're used to being at a traditional conference, you know you might have that sort of central common area and then a bunch of rooms that branch off of that. So the lounge was really taking the place of that that central common area, and they had someone who was managing the lounge, keeping people engaged. Sometimes there might be nobody in there. Sometimes there might be uh, a group of group of people in there, and the 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 host of that particular meeting would would uh, just kind of help to to facilitate a bit of a conversation. And one thing we talked about too is when. People went for lunch, maybe they wanted to have a conversation with someone else at the the conference, maybe they were at home by themselves and, you know, they just really wanted to connect with one or two or a group of people. So uh, the idea we came up around that was to have that, that same lounge, but to open up breakout rooms and a feature that was fairly recently introduced is you can actually choose your own breakout room in Zoom. So you could have the equivalent of going to a table where maybe there's one or two people and say, can I join you and just pop into their breakout room and maybe um, have a chat with them for a while and then maybe move on to another breakout room and and see who's there. And so it takes a little bit of getting used to, I think, from a participant's point of view. But once people get it, it feels surprisingly natural just to kind of have that freedom to to roam from group to group and, and meet some interesting people.
0: That is super cool. And the thing I'm hearing there most importantly is not just setting up a, a lounge or a virtual space and just having that being an open line, but someone is there who, especially during an event, who's hosting that, there's intention behind it, they're ready with uh, questions to engage people, and they're ready to help direct people to getting into the breakout rooms or like during meals, things like that, so that folks know what they're doing. And so it's very intentional and it's very planned going back to what you said earlier.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. And that, that brings up a really important point is that these, these meetings really need to be facilitated. It's not enough just to kind of create that virtual space and assume things are going to go well. I think especially since people are fairly new to this sort of way of interacting, that, that guidance really goes a long way and it really, really takes something from being kind of a concept to something that really works well.
0: One of the other events that you have uh, assisted with in the last year was helping an organization to do a multi-day coaching workshop. And one of the things that you highlighted for me that was helpful for them is using a feature, this is specific to Zoom, I believe, uh, called Spotlight and Multi-Spotlight for a virtual stage. And when you told me about this, I had no idea that this feature existed in Zoom. And so I'm wondering if you could share with us what that looks like and the value for uh, engaging people for this.
1: Yeah, sure. So spotlight is a feature that's been in Zoom for a long time. If a host or a co-host spotlights someone, that means that if people are in the gallery view, they're immediately going to be put into the speaker view. So that's a way, first of all, of drawing the attention to that person, just like you would in a, with a real spotlight. You know, If you someone steps up on the stage or you literally shine the spotlight on them, that's where the room's attention is going to go. And so that can be useful for taking people out of gallery view, first of all, and just focusing their attention. And a more recent feature is the ability to multi-spotlight. So a host or a co-host can spotlight up to nine people at once. And they could be people who are speakers. They could also be participants in the meeting. Anybody who has their, their video turned on is a is a candidate for spotlighting. So a case where this is used in the context of the coaching workshop, uh, there were some moments where the coach was actually coaching people live in front of the whole group. So the the host who is working behind the scenes and the host is very often not necessarily the person who's on camera a lot. They're very often more of the AV person. They're the person who's managing things behind the scenes. So in that scenario, they might focus on the spotlight, the coach, as well as the person they're coaching. So as they have that discussion back and forth, you're not seeing like the videos flashing, or I'm sure you've noticed this in Zoom where Somebody else starts talking, but it takes a little while for them to actually appear on the camera. Yeah. So this is where the, yeah, both of them can be on the screen at the same time. If it's a panel, you could have the whole panel on the screen. The way I often recommend that the the host or the co-host who's working behind the scenes manage this is kind of like an interview or a panel discussion you might see on the evening news to, to decide where do you want to draw the other participants' focus Maybe there's a uh, everybody on the panel all at once, and you know maybe they're doing some introductions. But then maybe one of the panelists gets into a discussion with the moderator, so you might uh, temporarily just have the moderator and that one panelist. Uh, but then maybe uh, another panelist starts to chime in, so you have the three of them on the screen. So it's something that just keeps the the interest, keeps the engagement. It's another one of those those tools of engagement, as I like to call them.
0: It's it's such a it's such a great way to engage and to really like you said it's it's almost better than in person in this case and you know this also brings up another point that we didn't hit on yet but I think is really key and I know you recommend is uh, for a larger event especially something with higher visibility it's helpful to have someone who is you know perhaps the speaker or the person who's the quote unquote host of the event on screen doing that. And then it's also helpful to have a what Zoom would call the host of the meeting, someone who's doing the technical work in the background, so that you know obviously you may not do that for your you know informal meetings, but for a larger event, having those two roles separated I think makes sense because then you can have that person really focus on spotlighting the right people, muting. I've really seen that done for some high profile events, and folks have done that really well, and I think that's that's probably a good practice if you are doing something that's a little more visible.
1: Yeah, for sure. And it really takes a lot of pressure off the, the presenters, the speakers, speakers, the leaders, teachers, because I think ideally they want to just do what they do. They don't want to be fiddling with the technology. So it's a very similar approach to to a virtual meeting. And the nice thing is that that host or co-host can really be anywhere. They can they can be any participant in the meeting. They um, can be given those those extra features. And as long as they have the proper training, they're comfortable with doing it. Sometimes people will even hire someone from outside their organization to serve in that role, just uh, just to make sure it goes really smoothly. And everybody I've talked to or I've referred out, I sometimes call it a Zoom co-pilot. They've said, oh, that was extremely worthwhile. It really helped it go smoothly and took a lot of pressure off.
0: I mentioned you've worked with all kinds of organizations over the last year, and one of the things you've been doing is helping some universities with recruitments, and specifically some sororities have hired you to uh, help them to get better at uh, running rush events and recruiting events. It's super fascinating, some of the work they've been doing. And one of the lessons that's come out of that, that it sounds like they've really done an amazing job with, is practice sessions in advance. Um, t- tell us a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah, you know, it's I've worked with three sororities so far, and they've just been amazing to work with. They, they've really embraced the technology. They've really, uh, really taken it to heart to deliver the best possible recruitment events that they can. I think what's most challenging about these events is they tend to be quite short and have a lot of people and have a lot of elements to it so it's it's very very important that they really streamline things they can't afford little tech glitches uh, they want to create a good good impression um for their their pnms are called their potential new members starting to learn a bit of the lingo along the way yeah and i uh, it to go as smoothly as possible so they've really done a lot of practice i was in on some of their their practice sessions where i was kind of a fly on the wall and not many men get to go to a sorority recruitment so i felt very (laughs) honored and they just really kept it fun and flowing they had some fun videos and music they were playing as part of that Um, they made extensive use of breakout rooms and just kept the transitions very smooth i think i think that's important for both in-person and virtual events is to just have that, that great flow and and if there are technical glitches along the way, that's where that engagement drops off very quickly. So just like with in-person, I think the technical side of it needs to be extremely well-practiced. There needs to be backups in place. If uh, if the host's internet happens to drop, making sure there's somebody else to 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 run with it that knows what they're doing. So, yeah, I think that was probably the most interesting in terms of just the the flow of the event and just keeping it, keeping it really smooth and
0: interactive we've all heard the term zoom fatigue and i think most of us have experienced it in the recent past and you have really uh, you're obviously trying to be mindful of helping organizations running events to use the technology well so you don't have the fatigue come in and at the same time be mindful that there are sometimes events that will go over 2 to 3 days or a weekend as i know you've done in a few cases when you have a event or a course that goes over a couple of days. What is it you're finding is helpful to prevent what people call Zoom fatigue?
1: I think it really comes back to, first of all, designing the event. And as a person designing the event, imagining you're the one who's participating in it and what, what would be Kind of a schedule that would work for you what is the appropriate amount of breaks those sorts of things and then what we've been talking about quite a bit is that that level of engagement uh, i think especially if something is going to be going on for a while there needs to be that sort of variety that's present sometimes you might be watching a video or going into a breakout room or or maybe you're learning some theory that's going to support the next practice session you're doing but having a good amount of variety in there. My wife actually leads weekend courses where she is teaching from 9.30 to 5 on a Saturday and Sunday. And I know a lot of people who are considering registering in this course were a little hesitant. They said, okay, that's way too much time to spend on Zoom. Yeah, And uh, I think everybody who's done her course has just been amazed at you know how engaged they felt, how connected they felt with other participants. And I think that's partially because she really thought it through and she didn't just take her in-person course and kind of blindly convert it to a virtual course, but it's also her own sort of innate ability to engage people on camera and really, really make them feel present. And I think that's something that comes very naturally to to some people and certainly to her. I think it's something that people can learn as well and they might just take a little bit longer to get to that level of engagement.
0: What's something that she did or perhaps the participants experienced that you think they really came away from that event being pleasantly surprised versus feeling like it was a lot of hours.
1: I think the, through some parts of the course, they're actually working in partners. And so they get a really strong connection with the person that they're working with. Um, They're doing some very deep work and, and they might be working with someone thousands of miles away. So it's that, that sort of, I think, excitement of engaging with someone that they probably never would have met in their life and doing this, this really deep work. And I think it's really those moments where the technology fades away and it becomes all about the experience, all about the engagement. And I think at the end of the day, that's the name of the game. You've really done this effectively if people forget that they're actually using technology because they're so, so engage with the material they're learning or the person they're talking to or the exercise they're going through and that's where the zoom fatigue I think ceases to be an issue because they're they're not even present to their the fact that they're on zoom at that point
0: It, it seems like it's a common discussion question these days of what will things look like when the pandemic has passed and people have the opportunity to go and do in-person things again, back to quote-unquote normal, whatever that ends up being and whenever it ends up being. And there's sort of this debate of, well, how much are people going to continue to do things online and leverage that technology? Based on your experience, what do you think, Tim? Do you think this is a new, a new normal for us that we're using this more, or do you think we'll go back to what we were doing?
1: I think it's definitely established a new normal and I think there'll also be a return to in-person events, and I hope so because I really enjoy those as well. So I'm really seeing a hybrid sort of approach in the future where some conferences, to use that as an example, might be entirely virtual moving forward because they've really honed the whole experience to the extent that it really works well and it maybe reduces the cost and makes it available to a lot more people. There's certainly a, a big environmental impact around people getting on planes and flying thousands of miles to go to uh, conferences and things like that so i think there'll be a lot of incentives to keep those going Uh, i think there'll also be a lot of hybrid type events where some people are going to be there in person and some people are going to be joining remotely i think those are probably the most difficult ones to coordinate and that's i've worked with some clients on those types of events and i think of all of the ones those need the most planning because you don't want people who are joining remotely to feel like second-class citizens and, and uh, give all the attention to people who are actually there in, in front of you. So that's something that I'm continuing to explore and try different things just to see as we start to go back more in person, how can we kind of create the best of both worlds.
0: I tend to think like you, Tim, there are some things that in-person is best at and we'll obviously all continue to do that when the time is right. And yet, I don't think that we go back to what we were doing before. The technology has become so good. And I think that that's one of the reasons that we should all take this as an opportunity not to wait it out, but to actually lean in and learn these skills because it is going to be a part of how a lot of organizations and people communicate going forward and how a lot of events are conducted in the future. And if we're willing to get a little bit better at this now, we can really do some amazing things going forward. And uh, that's actually a good invitation for something you're up to. Um, You've been doing one-on-one consulting work over the last year with so many folks on Zoom. I know you've been turning people away because so many people have reached out to you. And you've actually put together a course now to help people to get better at this and, and and to really learn some of the fundamentals. Would you share a bit of that with us?
1: Yeah, sure. And yeah, I realized pretty early on that I definitely couldn't, uh, as, as, as one person, keep up with all the demand out there. And I also noticed I was kind of sharing the same things over and over again. So I've rolled that into a course I call uh, Leading Effective Zoom Events. And the first course is going to be the fundamentals. I'm also working on one called Beyond the Basics. So the way I've designed this is to really showcase what it's like to be in an an effectively run zoom event. So I'm, I'm not just teaching, but I'm giving people the experience of uh, being in an event that's including all the elements that we've been talking about, and also providing instructions on these are the ways you can use breakout rooms and multi spotlight and things like this for your own events. So it's uh, meant to be something that's accessible to pretty much anybody. Um, maybe a little bit of experience with Zoom would help. Uh, and I think almost everybody on the planet has some experience with Zoom at this point. Yeah, indeed. But uh, really focusing on the elements we've talked about and going into some experiential learning around that uh, in terms of designing the events and leading the event. And um, I'm very much putting myself up to the challenge of making it a really a stellar, engaging event as, as people go through the learning.
0: Fabulous. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. We have a link for those who would like to find out more. It's at technicallysimple.com slash Zoom. Uh, we'll have that, of course, in the episode no- notes and this week's weekly leadership guide. Tim, as I mentioned, has just been a wonderful teacher to me over the years of helping to use technology and engage people better online. So, Thank you, Tim, for not only supporting me <laughs> over all this time, uh, but also for sharing with us some of these good practices we can use for hosting events. And I hope that folks will you know, take at least one of the things they've heard from today's conversation and apply it. And if you do, we'd love to hear. Drop us a line on LinkedIn or, uh, or send a note, and we'd love to hear what worked for you. And Tim, thanks a ton for your expertise.
1: Oh, you're very welcome, Dave. And thanks again for inviting me back to Coaching for Leaders. It's always a pleasure.
0: When I started this podcast 10 years ago, the standards for audio quality were very different for podcasts. In fact, I was having a hard time at that time finding a show on leadership that had good, consistent, quality content, and that had good audio quality. It's one of the reasons that I first started the Coaching for Leaders podcast. Thankfully, the standards have changed substantially in the last 10 years. So many more people listen to podcasts, and as a result, the audio quality standards are much higher than they used to be. And most of you, like me, don't listen to podcasts that don't have good audio quality. And the standards are now changing with online events also. As people began to do this, we've all been really flexible with events not working perfectly or not having the same level of engagement that we would get in an in-person event. And thankfully, I think good news, but also change for all of us, those standards are also changing for online events. The days will end where you can get away with running a mediocre event or to run an event and not think about engaging participants online, especially for a larger audience. So if you haven't given much thought to that, I hope today's conversation will get you and your organization thinking that way. And in order to get you started on that, Tim and I have put something together, actually mostly Tim, that we didn't even mention during the conversation. Tim has been gracious to prepare a downloadable PDF with some of the key principles that will help you get started On many of the things we talked about in this conversation today, but also some of the things we didn't talk about. You can find that on the episode notes. I'll also be including it in this week's weekly leadership guide. So find that download. And at the very least, that would be a good starting point for you on thinking about what's next. In addition to that, I'd also recommend several related episodes to today's conversation. One of them is episode 381, Serve Others Through Marketing. My guest on that episode was Seth Godin. Seth is, of course, the preeminent thinker on marketing and helping organizations to represent their work well. Uh, If you have not heard Seth's work before or followed his blog, I'd encourage you to listen to that episode because he talks about how to really market well, but how to do it with authenticity and ethics and to approach it from a way that's very much focused on the person you're serving. Episode 381 is a wonderful complement to this conversation for the strategy behind how to really reach out and to represent your organization well. Also recommended is episode 395, how to create meaningful gatherings. My guest on that episode was Priya Parker. She is the author of The Art of Gathering. There's so many helpful things she talks about, not only in that book, but in that conversation on how to really engage people well for events. And the principles, most of them, you can use just as easily online as you can in person. And in fact, there's a number of principles from that conversation and her book that I have utilized in our online events and with our academy members. Episode 395 is a wonderful place to start if you're looking for ways to do that well. And then finally, another good compliment to this conversation, episode 472, how to run an online meeting. That one was with Bonnie and I. Last year, we aired that episode in how to run just an everyday meeting with your team, how to do that well. Some of the things to think about with technology, facilitation, meeting management, many of the things we talked about in that conversation we didn't talk about here today some of the more foundational principles. So episode 472 is where to go for that. All of those episodes you can find on the coachingforleaders.com website. If you set up your free membership, you're going to get access to the entire listening library, searchable by topic since 2011. So many conversations we've had over the years around marketing, facilitation of meetings, software, And even things in response to COVID, how we can do a better job at being able to lead through changing times. If you set up your free membership, you'll be able to search for all of that online. In addition, you're going to get access to all of the free audio courses on the website, my own personal library, and the weekly leadership guide that comes your way every Wednesday. For access to all of that, just go to coachingforleaders.com, set up your free membership, and you'll be off and running in just a few moments. Next week, Bonnie and I are back for the question and answer show. It's actually been a couple of months since we had a Q&A show. Schedules got crazy. We had lots of interviews, but now we're back. At least that's the plan next week. Join us for that. If you have a question you would like us to consider, for that Q&A episode or a future episode, coachingforleaders.com slash feedback is where to go. See you back next Monday with Bonnie and have a wonderful week. Take care.